Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to go really fast. Like really, really fast. And then count down the top five sports movies. He took me to, to races in Northern California. And then when I was 10 years old, he took me to, to a go-kart school in Las Vegas. And the journey kind of started from there. I fell in love with the sport. And if you're one-tenth off, it's, it's nothing, right? But if you think about it, if it's, if it's a 100-lap race or a 200-lap race, and you're a tenth off every time, you're 20 seconds behind. Like that now, then now you're talking about a big margin, right? So the Indy 500 is the biggest race in the world. It's the biggest single day sporting event in the world. So to be able to, to win that one was, was pretty sensational. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I want to get right to our first guest because he does something that as soon as you hear about it, you're like, oh, that's really cool. But then there's all these little interesting things about it that just make it so fascinating. Our first guest is IndyCar and Formula One race car driver Alexander Rossi. I think the the big first question has to be the cancellation of the season. What were you doing when you found out? What was your reaction? Uh, well, I was already in St. Pete. So St. Pete uh, was the first race of, of the season for us. Um, we had already kind of been delayed. Uh, we were supposed to be on track Friday for practice. And um, on Thursday, they told us that Friday was going to get canceled and that we were going to run the event over two days, Saturday, Sunday, but closed to fans. So closed doors. I, I stay in a, a motorhome at the track, so I was kind of waking up and going through a normal kind of pre-event uh, routine, um, you know, kind of from a, a physical standpoint and, and hydration and everything, and got a text from one of the, the team managers saying, don't get too comfortable, um, things are going to change really quickly, and within five minutes, we were told our event was canceled, NASCAR was canceling all sporting events in the United States were canceled, um, and to book a flight home. So I decided to go get lunch and Bloody Marys with the team and flew home about eight hours later, uh, Friday evening. So it was kind of a, a weird and very surreal 36 hours of, of being down in Florida and thinking that you're going to go racing and then thinking you're going to go racing in a different way to go home, uh, that the cars aren't even going to turn on type of thing. Did you immediately get it or did it kind of sink in like, oh, we, we saw it was kind of trending that way. You know, we were seeing all the other events get canceled. Um, Formula One was dealing with, with the same situation down in Australia. And really, it was only NASCAR and us left. There were in terms of motorsports and sports for that matter, they were going to be continuing on 
And so when we saw the news that NASCAR was going to cancel, we knew it was only a matter of minutes before we were going to do the same thing. So it, at the time, it was confusing because it was like, well, this is a really good opportunity to get like great TV ratings if we're the only thing on TV. But then the more you started to, to read and understand the so the more we started to understand the severity of, of, of the whole situation and that it was um, far more reaching than just sports or racing for that matter, it became clear it was the right decision to, to kind of go home and, and reset and uh, just wait to see what, what happens and what evolves. So how did you get started in this? So I started in racing. My, my father was just a big fan of it. Um, so as a, as a young boy growing up, um, he took me to, to races in Northern California and, um, it became just kind of a passionate and, and father son trip that, that him and I would take each year. Um, and then when I was 10 years old, he took me to, to a go-kart school in Las Vegas and the journey kind of started from there. I fell in love with the sport and, and was not terrible at it. And, um, here we are 18 years later. So does, do you like have to kind of develop your own? car or you have to get on a team like it's a job interview or like how do you get to the point where you're in races uh, so that's, a, that's a good question i mean when you start out it's just simply you buy a go-kart and you go to your local club races right and then from there um you know if if you, if you have the funds available you start doing national races um or, or at least like in my case, Western regional races. And so you kind of develop your skill set in, in go-karts from a, from a pretty young age. And then there's basically race car schools, um, not schools as in tests and, and, and notes and classes, but like you go and they teach you the fundamentals of, of driving a race car and, and vehicle dynamics and, and, um, you know, how to, how to drive properly and, and get performance out of a car. And, you know, I, I started that when I was 13. So my first time in a race car was at the age of 13. And then really from there, it's, it's just a progression, right? If you're, if you're winning at each level, you kind of advance to the next level. And, and really that continues for as, as long as your family can, can kind of afford it. And then it gets to the, the most challenging part of motorsports. And that's going out and finding people to pay for you to go racing. Um, and that's where sponsorship and, and investors come into play and, and racing gets very expensive very quickly. Um, you know, you start out in go-karts, you know, it could be, you know, 20 to $30,000 a year to go racing, um, to, you get to GP2, um, which is the feeder series to formula one. And it's three and a half million dollars a year to go racing. Um, and, and that's all at a non-professional level. It's only when you get to the, to the highest levels, your Formula Ones, your Indy cars, your NASCARs, where you're actually getting a paycheck. Up until that point, um, you've got to find a way to fund it, which is pretty crazy. Did you, I mean, you know, work in extra jobs, all that kind of stuff to get through it at the time? Uh, no. So, I mean, you know, when I, when I got to the point of like 14 or 15 years old, I mean, it was already – the, the budgets per year were four to five hundred thousand dollars a year. So, um, a fifteen-year-old, I don't care yeah. how many lawns lawns you mow, it's not going to really make a dent in that. So, my my father uh, actually came up with a with an investment program, um, and you know, it was kind of giving 
people a, a units, if you will, for, for a certain price, a certain dollar amount. And, um, you know, they were buying a, a piece of, of my future if they believed that I could kind of go the distance. And that kind of got us through, um, you know, 2008 to 2011. Um, about a three year period there. And then I was fortunate enough to, to sign with a Formula One team over in Europe where they started paying for my racing. So, um, you know, it kind of all got taken care of itself from that point. And it was just a matter of kind of surviving off track and, and paying for living expenses and travel and that sort of thing. So that became much more manageable once we got to that point. But, um, yeah, I mean, to this day, there's still investors that are a part of my career and program and still come to the races. Um, most of the time and, and they become very close family friends and, and in some ways kind of secondary father figures to me. And it's, uh, it's pretty special to have shared on this, this whole journey with them. Did you feel a lot of pressure from that as a teenager? I mean, I couldn't handle like a paper route, but yeah, I mean, not, not, not really from that. You know, I'm, I'm a very kind of type a competitive personality in the first place. So, you know, all the pressure that I really cared about came from myself um, most of the time. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal from, from that standpoint, obviously there was a, an obligation kind of off the track. You know, you didn't as a teenager, you know, once you have people kind of paying for you to, to go chase a dream, you can't do some of your normal teenage stupid things, if you will. Um, so from that standpoint, I had to be a lot more cognizant than maybe some of my peers or, or colleagues or whatever. They could kind of just go do whatever they want and there was no repercussions. So from that standpoint, you know, I had to approach things a little bit differently. But in the race car, really, it, I didn't even really pay attention to it. Seems like it's certainly an investment that paid off. I mean, your rookie year, you won the Indy 500. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, I would like to hope so. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very cool for, you know, after that whole process and, um, you know, that was 2016. So kind of after seven or eight years, well, no, sorry, nine or 10 years after the investment program started to finally start being able to, to give people return was, was a pretty cool feeling. And obviously they were happy about it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a race that kind of cemented my career back in, in the States and in, in the NTT and car series. And, um, yeah, obviously, the Indy 500 is the biggest race in the world. It's the biggest single-day sporting event in the world. So to be able to to win that one was was pretty sensational. Do you remember what you were thinking when you crossed that finish line? Like, what was that experience of, oh, my gosh, I just won this? It was a lot of disbelief, actually, because, you know, as a, as a rookie, you know, I had never been – not only had I not raced at the 500 before, but I had never even attended – the event before. So, you know, I didn't go into it with the expectation by any stretch of the imagination that I was going to go in there and win or even really challenge for a win. Um, I was just hoping to get through a, a 500 mile race. It was, it was my second race that I had ever done on a noble. You know, I came up in a very road course, uh, centric kind of background. So, um, ovals were, were new to me. So I was just trying to kind of just get through it and get the experience under my belt. So when we won, it was, it was a lot of disbelief from my end of, of how the hell did, did that just happen and, and why did it happen and, and now what sort of thing. So obviously it was a, a very special moment, but an equally, um, confusing moment as well. What makes you good at it? Like, is it, is it a physical thing? Is it a mental? Like, why are you good at it? 
Um, you know, I think it's, it's all of the above. You know, there's, there's a huge mental aspect to, to driving a race car. Um, you know, there's, if you think about a, a perfect lap, for example, it, it doesn't exist. You know, there's, there's always something that you can look back on and, and see that you could have done differently. You know, when you're looking at, um, a span of, of, well, anything from 18 seconds to two minutes to do a lap. You know, there's, there's tens and hundreds of seconds that you're trying to find and, and piece together. And a huge part of that is being able to drive to the limit of that car for that particular lap at a hundred percent. Cause if you're at 99%, you're not extracting the maximum performance of the car. And if you're at 101%, you're actually going slower as well because you're actually driving more than what the tire can handle and you actually start sliding and, and that loses lap time as well. So being able to get to the limit of the car every lap is, is very challenging because every time, every second that the engine's on, the fuel level's changing, the tire wear is changing, so the amount of grip available that you have is changing, the conditions are changing. I mean, three or four miles an hour of wind can have a big impact on the car, so your understanding of of kind of what the current conditions are for every lap that you're doing plays a big role in it and, and your adjustments that you're making in the car. So it's a lot of little things like that that people don't realize. Um, they add up when you're dealing with tens and hundreds of a second, and and that's that's a big amount because over a lap, no. If you're one tenth off, it's it's nothing, right? But if you think about it, if it's if it's a hundred lap race or a two hundred lap race, you're a tenth off every time. You're twenty seconds behind, like that. Now, now you're talking about a big margin, right? So, um, it's a very unique sport in the sense you're dealing with finite amounts of time. How much is the car? How much is the driver in terms of when somebody wins a race versus losing it? Like, is somebody's car so, just sometimes so, better? Or? Yeah, for sure. And, and that's why racing will never be an Olympic sport. It's because ultimately there's too much disparity in equipment. Even if they're all the same by on paper, they're all prepared by the same person. There's going to be engines that are better. There's going to be cars and chassis and parts that are slightly better or worse just because there's, there's a lot of different um, elements that are going into making a race car quick. So it depends on the series. If, if you look at Formula One in Europe, I would say 80% is the car, 20% is the driver because it's an open, it's an open series, meaning there's regulations that you have to fit within, but it's your interpretation of those regulations and you can build whatever you want. Whereas in IndyCar, everyone has the same car, the same chassis, the same aerodynamics, the same tire. The only difference is there's a Chevrolet engine and a Honda engine. So there is some advantages and disadvantages to having one or the other, depending on the type of track you're at. But where Formula One is 80% the car and 20% the driver, I'd say IndyCar is probably 65% the driver, 60% the driver, and 40% the car. So it's a big swing in, in the other direction. Um, but still, in IndyCar, you could be the best driver in the world, but if you're with a team that's not very good, you're not going to win any races. So it's got to, both have got to be kind of working for you. Do the drivers and people who really know the sport, do they kind of know when like, hey, that guy's a great driver, but he's got a bad car? Or, for sure. yeah, that guy, they kind of know, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and that's why, you know, your teammate in a way is, is, is your friend, um, but also your biggest enemy, right? Because, you know, if, if 
driver X, or let's just say driver A, is a well-established driver, um, has had a lot of success in the past, and drives for a certain team. But then driver B comes in and is like outperforming him, right? And that says a big thing about driver A. Like, oh, driver A, actually, he's had a better car than we thought. And driver B is, is pretty pretty talented and we, we should look at hiring him type of thing. Or vice versa. You know, you can have, you can have a guy that, um, you know, has, has been really struggling in a, in a team. Um, and people think, oh, he's, he's pretty average and, and not very good and probably shouldn't be there. And then you have a guy that for whatever reason gets fired or dropped from a top team and goes to the, the, the team where the guy's been struggling and is also struggling. Then that guy's stock value immediately rises because you have a well-rated driver that's now behind you with the same equipment, and um, it, it can change as quickly as that. So in racing, you're only as good as your last race, which is it's a very fluid sport and it's very cutthroat, and um, that's part of the challenge, and, and that's part of why I love it so much. Is just so I understand this, is IndyCar the same as Formula One? Is, is that different? No. Like- so so Formula One. Formula One is, is the pinnacle open wheel racing series in Europe. IndyCar is the pinnacle open wheel racing series in America. Um, they're, if you look at them on paper, they look the same, but a Formula One team's budget is $400 million a year, whereas an IndyCar team's budget is $12 million a year. So there's a lot of technology differences. Um, there's a lot of, of, of performance differences in the cars. So, um, to the, to the layman, they look the same, but um, if you were to go watch them on track, there's there's a pretty big difference between the two. Do people in the United States understand how big it is overseas? No, not really. I mean, you tell people about Formula One, and they kind of look at you funny, and then you tell them it's the biggest sport in the world, and they're like, no, it's not. And, and yeah, no, it, it 100% is. Like, it's bigger in soccer. It's it's crazy. It's, it's Formula One and, and motorsports in Europe is, is like a religion to them, and uh it's, it's amazing to take part in. Um, you feel as though you're a part of something pretty special and, and nations get behind it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's kind of what you know, right? In, in, in Europe, they don't have the NFL. They don't have the NBA, baseball, all of golf, all of these different types of sports to distract from them. They have, you know, soccer, cricket, and, and motorsports, and that's about it. Can you, could you step into like NASCAR? I mean, could you just jump in there? I mean, with obviously some kind of adjustment time, but can could could your skills translate right away? Um, no, not to NASCAR because that's so that's now you're getting out of the open wheel category. You're you're getting into a stock car, um, something that weighs two and a half times more than an open wheel car, has no aerodynamics, um, runs on a very kind of thin tire. It's a completely different kind of approach and driving style. And a lot of the guys that got to, to NASCAR and are successful there came through a junior series that was very dirt heavy, very like sprint cars, midget predominant, um, a lot of oval racing, um, a lot of stuff like that. Whereas in IndyCar or Formula One, you come through go-karts and you come through junior open wheel race cars. Um, Whereas, so it's, it's two very different paths that you take. So they're, they're very, as much as they're both elite racing series, um, the skill sets are, are, are very different. 
Are you ready for the harder slash listener submitted questions? Let's go. Do you have a Bucks jersey yet? <laughs> uh, not yet, no. Are you, are you going to pick up a Brady Bucks jersey or can you not do that? <laughs> if I go to a game, I probably will, but I'm not going to like order one online. Best racing video game? Forza 7, I would say. Better than Mario Kart? Uh, I didn't think about that one. That's a fair point. No, you're right. Mario Kart definitely, definitely takes P1 there. What is it like to drive a regular car after getting off the track? It's actually really relaxing. It's so nice to have like air conditioning and a radio and um, it's cup holders. It's a, it's a nice change of pace. Do they, they don't have like any kind of creature comforts in those cars, right? Like Zero. This, no. Yeah. Not, a, not even power steering. They don't have power steering? Nope. Do they have, is it a stick shift? What is it? It's paddle shifting. So um, it's like you'd have on a any car these days. You, you pull up the paddle on the right to go up and pull the paddle on the left to go down. Do you like, do you speed on accident or like, how's, how's your normal driving routine? Um, I, I did when I was younger, but I've kind of grown out of that. I haven't gotten a ticket in probably five or six years now. So not really. I know you like bourbon, but our, our audience is kind of a bottom shelf kind of audience. What's your, what's your favorite bottom shelf one that you're going for? Bottom shelf bourbon, like a maker's mark, I would say, or a uh, almost like a even Crown Royal. Like I guess is that considered bottom shelf? Maybe not. What's kind of your go to right now? I would say Weller. So Weller is a kind of a division of Buffalo Trace, which I'm sure most people have heard of. Do you interact with the other drivers on the track? Can you like? Can you hear them? You can't like yell at them or something. No. I mean, you can flip them off. You get a you get a pretty hefty fine if you do that. But that's really the only only type of interacting you can do. Um, you know, a lot of us it's it's a pretty close knit community. Um, just because there's you know twenty two of us ultimately. Um, so you know we're we're all pretty friendly off track and and hang out at times and, and such. But you know once you're at the track, it's it's pretty much you know you focus on the job and, and trying to beat. Um, the other guy and um but no the only communication that you have in the car is to your team and, and to your engineers and strategists and, and spotters and such how do you feel about the saying if you're not first you're last couldn't agree with it more do, do other racers say that i mean is it kind of like a joke thing or is it like a serious thing um it's a joke thing but like i i i live by that mentality whether it's racing or um a foot race or um Anything, throwing a football, kicking a soccer ball, I'm, that mentality applies to everything I do in my life. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of safety equipment in there, but is it is it real safety in the sense that, like, look, if you crash, you're going to be fine, or is it safety in the sense that, like, this is as good as we can get it? Um, no, it's it's real safety. You know, I I think that that IndyCar and the tracks have have progressed a lot. I mean, you can you you can die doing anything. Let's be honest. Um, you can die driving a race car for sure. Um, but if you look at the impacts that, that we've had and, and the fact that people walk away with, with injuries for sure, but like injuries that they can bounce back from in a couple weeks to months, you know, you, there was a, there was a 145 G impact at, um, Indianapolis in 2018 and, uh, the driver was, 
flipped upside down. The whole car split apart on fire and he had a fractured ankle. I mean, it's, it's crazy. There was a, there was 160 G impact at the speedway the same year and the driver had a broken pelvis and some broken ribs. So that one was obviously a little bit longer to recover from, um, but was back in the car in, in about two and a half months. So, you know, the, the safety measures are, are pretty phenomenal and, um, you know, there's always that risk that exists, but, but for the most part, they're, they're very, very safe. Have you had a big one yet? I mean, do do, do drivers worry about like, oh my God, I don't want this to happen or how does that kind of work? You can't really have that concern um, because that's when, you know, we were back before talking about tens and hundreds of a second, you know, even if you have that as a subconscious thought, it's going to, it's going to have an impact on you. Um, so no, you, 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 you take the necessary measures, you know, you have the, you participate in the meetings and the focus groups and you have your opinions on, you know, whether things are necessary to, to move forward from an R&D standpoint and if they need to be applied to the car and all of that stuff. But, you know, once the season starts and you get to the racetrack, you don't think about it. You just, you just focus on, on executing and, and trying to win the race. That's really all the questions that I had and our listeners had. What's coming up next for you? Next for me is uh, we're virtual IndyCar racing, which so uh, if people want to watch us play IndyCars on the internet, um, you can watch that on NBC Sports uh, Saturday evening. Oh, cool, man! And you got the podcast. Is that is that going during the season, or is that not going yes, during the season? No, the podcast during going during the season. I'm glad you asked. Uh, we're actually recording an episode this afternoon with Travis Pastrana, so that'll be out uh, on Thursday. For those of you that know who Travis is and want to hear what he has to say about his own crazy brokenness, um, you can tune into to off track with Hinchinosity if uh, you're so inclined. Is that? I mean, are drivers generally kind of pretty, I'll use this word, I don't mean it, like thrill seekers, or are they pretty kind of normal people, yeah. for lack of it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we have kind of an immunity to a lot of things that provide adrenaline for others. So, yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways that, that we're adrenaline junkies and try and go find things that are crazy and weird and just hope we don't get too hurt. I want to thank Alexander so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we've linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we've also included his information on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello? How long does it take you to eat dinner? I think this is a very important question I have to ask before. Pre-kids or after kids? Well, first of all, you only have one kid, so don't be trying to sway the people by throwing it out there like you've got multiple children. You have one main area of responsibility, so let's just pump the brakes on that a little bit. But let's go pre-kid and after kid. Pre-kid, probably 20 to 40 minutes. What? I like to enjoy my meal. How slow are you eating then? Are you like giving 26 bites to every single, like 26 (laughs) chews to every single bite that you take? How does it take you 40 minutes? I mean, I said 20 to 40. It's probably closer to, you know, like 20 to 30, but there are some that would would have taken 40 minutes. Well, see, that doesn't matter because it doesn't matter anymore because now I'm lucky if I get five minutes to even enjoy my my food anymore because of my kid. I just don't understand how you're even taking 20 minutes. 
Like, I don't see how you're heating up your hungry man and spending 20 <laughs> minutes eating that. Well, maybe that's the thing. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't make a lot of hungry man. I make a lot of meals from scratch. Okay. I'm not talking about making it though. I'm talking about like just the, the simply the eating process. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like I, if I spend the time making it, I want to enjoy it. Yeah. But I feel like taking 20 minutes, like you're just dicking around at that point. Right. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's like, you know, I don't want to say it's an event, right? But it's like, dinner right you're you know you're eating you're you're catching up on on people's days or or just enjoying the time alone okay so if you have dinner at 9 p.m what time do you start what time do you start thinking about dinner like ooh, probably four or five okay before that so you got a good solid five hour build up to dinner well yeah you got to figure out what you're going to make and you got to figure out if you have the ingredients to make it okay all right um, look, what's the fastest you've ever gone in a car? Oof. Probably just the other side of a hundred. Wow. Yeah, it's not very fast. Oh, that's disappointing. I had the chance. I, I must throw this out there to shame myself. I had the chance to do one of those like exotic car ride things at Disney and it was paid for and I still didn't show up. Why? Because I believe you and I got too drunk the night before, and I overslept it. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so it wasn't like you chickened out. It was just pure negligence and uh, laziness on your part. <laughs> Actually, it might still be a sore spot with my wife, who worked pretty hard to set the whole thing up and paid for it. And then I wouldn't get out of bed. But hey, that's another story for another oh day. Oh my God, you're a terrible person. She paid for that and you didn't show up? Yeah. You, do you realize how many people at that event are like, this fucking dumbass isn't coming. <laughs> just take their money for free. How much did she pay for it? I, I just remember it was a Groupon I, and she got another, it was like one of her friends, husbands or whatever that was going to tag along. I think it was like 110 bucks, I think. Wow. How often like does she, she how often does she, she bring that up? How did what what was that? I'm how, sorry. How often does she bring that up? I would say probably once or twice a year, which you know, this was seven years ago or whatever, six years ago. Oh yeah, dude. Have you never this is no offense. No offense meant to anybody. Anybody who gets offended by this, you're not looking at the basic facts on the ground. Women do not forget. They're never going to let you live that down. <laughs> no. And I, I do feel like a dick, like I said. Even more so because she specifically booked, like, the car, like, you know, the, the experience with a car that I had told her I always wanted to drive. And wow. then I still didn't show up. What car did you always want to drive, please? Well, you know, they only gave you three options. I forget what the other two are, but they had a Lamborghini. Wow, you can drive a Lamborghini for only $110? You can just go badass that thing around the track? Well, that seems... it's not. Listen, I'm, I'm thankful that she thought of the idea, but it's not as cool as it sounds because there's some kind of something in the car that only lets you go to like 140, which is still pretty, like that would still be fast as hell, right? Wow, so not only did you not show up, but you're ungrateful. <laughs> I know that's what it's going to sound like, wow. but I'm just saying... <laughs> What a dick you are. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go, but she didn't give me what I wanted anyway, so screw her. <laughs> wow. I'm pretty sure it was like 
Nick made me do shots all night. Get away from me. Yeah, dude. Well, be responsible. You're an adult now. Uh, are you ready for your uh, segment? I'll, I'll start. I, I want to know the fastest you've ever gone there, Batmobile, whatever you call that stupid thing. <sighs> On the black bat, my little motorcycle. Um, what, 65? I don't... It was either 129 or 143. I don't remember which one. But I was in... This is how responsible my father is. Um, I was... My dad had like a really old, fast Mercedes at one point. And he got that sucker up to 160 at around 4 o'clock in the morning while we were going hunting with a bunch of guns in the car and three... <laughs> me and two of my other cousins. So basically, <laughs> he would have been... Nothing like going 160 in the miles an hour down a popular highway with guns in the car and children. Good parenting, Dad. It was fa- it was fast enough where you're like, ooh, we should probably be slowing down here. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> they're fucking fast. The back roads of Kansas, right? I'm sure. No, dude, I was on the interstate, I-35 oh. or I-70. Oh, that's pretty brazen, man. You go by a cop running radar, he's losing his license. Yeah, dude, he's not. He's he's gonna have a hard time explaining that one. My son <laughs> dared me. That's a good fucking reason. <laughs> so there are other guns in the car as well. Yeah. Why don't you find out? <laughs> Why don't you find out? But okay, all right. Well, good job, Dad. Uh, let's let's oh, move well, on. Let's give some shout outs here. Uh, let's see. We'll start. Off the top, uh, appreciate everyone checking us out. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Finally pointless. Pointless. Oh, fuck. You know where we're at. Um, here we go. Carlos, <laughs> Not anymore. Allison, uh, Alan, Stevie, uh, Linda, Kevin, Gigi, Lori, Rob, the uh, Lonely Stoner. Appreciate you checking us out. Uh, Jordan, Edwin, Billy, Mackenzie, and my personal favorite, Yoga Boy. Uh, appreciate everyone checking us out this week. Uh, like, subscribe. I don't know. We try to update that shit as much as we can, but Nick's usually a letdown. No big deal. Um, but seriously, we appreciate everyone checking us out. Uh, we do this for you, and I'll stop my, my sentiments now and, and move on. Okay. Um, all right. Thank you. All right, Nick. Uh, here we go. Would you rather have perfect teeth or perfect hair? Oh, teeth, man. Perfect teeth. I think people notice teeth pretty well. And perfect hair, it's kind of like, mm, that's not going to last. I, I think that, like, you notice bad teeth and you have more of kind of like a, ooh. Like, bad teeth says something about you as a person. Bad hair might just be a bad day. I got to tell you, I'm watching the Tiger King currently. Oh. <laughs> and I, I don't know how to say this. I usually offend somebody at some point in this podcast if you're just listening for the first time. Uh, and I got to tell you. All of Joe Exotic's employees, uh, I'm pretty sure every one of them's missing a tooth. Yeah, dude, it's called meth. <laughs> like, they love meth. I mean, they start one of the episodes out with one of his employees getting her arm ripped off, and then she's like, yeah, but it really wasn't anyone's fault. That just happened. Yeah, dude, I mean, you can't get mad at the tiger. The tiger's just being a tiger. told me this somebody told me that it is the most profound show ever that i'll ever watch and i didn't believe any of the hype but i'm watching it and i'm like holy shit this i don't know what to say about this show i just have no idea no i mean it's 
the thing is, John and I, I formerly, John still, worked in news. There's a lot of people that are like this, right? Like this isn't some just you found the three weirdest people or four weirdest people in America. There are tens of thousands of people like that. I, I just, you know, I, I didn't remember covering Carol Baskin when we worked in Orlando. And then as soon as I saw her face, oh, that's that, that crazy tiger woman from Tampa. Yeah. I remember her now. No, Carol Baskin. She killed her husband. <laughs> of course she did. You see OJ? Um, you see OJ said something? <laughs> what the fucking <laughs> balls does that guy have to come out and be like, oh, I don't know, but Carol Baskins did that. Really, OJ? <laughs> really? <laughs> Oh man, I, t- I tell you, <laughs> oh, oh, poor, poor OJ. You know, if the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. There yeah. you go. Okay, all right, let's move on. Uh, let's see here. Um, would you rather have sex on the beach or sex in the mud? Who the fuck wants to have sex in the mud? What? Ever had sex? Have you ever had sex on the beach in the sand? No. It sounds awful. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, I hear from a friend that it's very awful. Who had sex in the mud? I was just thinking, like, at least you could wash the mud off as where the sand gets everywhere. Uh, wait a minute. So you don't actually know somebody who's had sex in the mud? Are you trying to tell us that you've had sex in the mud? Or did you just think, like, oh, well, sex in the mud? I'm, I'm not commenting either way. It's just, It's just a simple question have you had there. To, how much mud how much mud are we talking let's say that I'll you had about my mud butt how about that okay let's say that you had this proverbial friend we'll just say that their name <laughs> rhymes with ron null um oh my God. so did you have sex in the mud or not i i have i have never no i don't know who people are having sex in the mud sex <laughs> on the beach even is overrated because that shit's just gonna be like <sighs> I mean, it's, probably it's great, but it's going to change. No, it, it, it's not great. And anyone who tells you it is great is a goddamn liar. All right. Uh, last one. This one's pretty easy, I think. Chinese food or Japanese food? I don't know if I've ever actually had Japanese food. Well, I think I just sushi, have to, Japanese food? I don't know. I feel like we should just immediately stop and move on because all we're going to do is offend somebody with the fact that we don't know the difference between stuff that we're supposed to know the difference about. I mean, isn't that the point of this whole show? Is it's, it's pointless. Yeah, but it's not the point to offend people about their well, culture. You, you do that on a daily episodic, uh, you know, weekly episodic, episodic, episodic How? I just, you know, for, any, for anybody listening right now, do you really think that I'm the one who does it? Or do you think that the guy who just stuttered out the words episodic is the guy who does it? That's right. Nick, Nick will edit that out. He'll make me sound great, so it's all right. No, I'm leaving that in there. Okay, are you ready for our top uh, top five? I am, and for once, I think you're going to disappoint me in your, in your selections. Oh, 100%. 100% guarantee I'm going to disappoint you. So this is, this, is, this is top five sports movies. What's your number five? All right, so my number five, I have two of them, uh, and they both star two of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, one is Miracle with Kurt Russell, and then Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise. Okay. And I also have to say that on my list, I have no sport that uh, uh, is duplicated. Okay, well, impressive. Wow. <laughs> What's your number five? Happy Gilmore. 
my god. <laughs> uh, that's a great fucking movie. You cannot say that that's not a good movie and it's about sports. That's a great movie. It's better than Days of Thunder. It's better than Miracle, which I don't even know what that's even about. Of course you do. What is it? It's probably a baseball or hockey movie. It's, it's a hockey movie, and it's about the 1980 U.S. men's hockey team. Wow. I'd love to watch a movie about that when I could just watch the real thing and see what actually happened. Much better. All right. What's your number four? Uh, the Wrestler. Ooh, I actually have that on my list. I have that on my, I have that as my number three. Okay. But I think that's a pretty good movie. Some people might say, oh, that's not a sports movie, but it kind of is. I'll give it sports movie. Yeah, it's professional wrestling. It's a sports movie. Okay, so since I already did my number three, which was The Wrestler, I'm going to give you my number four, which is Dodgeball. <laughs> okay. It's a good movie. You going to say it's not a good movie? I don't know how you go... Happy Gilmore, Dodgeball, and then The Wrestler. Like, I mean, you're, talk, you're talking about like six jumps up, but it's fine. Listen, Happy Gilmore and Dodgeball are, are not bad movies. I don't know if they should be considered great sports movies, but it's your list. I'm not going to hate on it. Yeah. Okay. What's what are your the no- five D's of Dodgeball? Dodge, dip, duck, dive, and dodge. I think you said one twice, but I'll, I'll yeah, that, that's that's in the movie. He says that in it's the movie. Sh- he says that, it's and it's sh- part of the movie, right? But I'm trying to think: is there four or five now? I don't even remember how many there are. There's five, but he says dodge twice. That's the joke. Oh, I guess I never. I I I think I've seen it twice, maybe. Okay, well, you should remember that part. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, my number three, I have uh, the Rocky franchise. Okay, that's yeah. I forgot about that. Now that I, I mean, remember, if I had to go specifically, I would say Rocky Four and Rocky are like my two favorite movies of the of the uh, franchise. But yeah, Rocky Four is easily the best Rocky. I could care less about the original one, right? Who gives a shit? <laughs> You know Sylvester Stallone wrote all those movies? I do. I do. He, he's a talented guy, I guess. He's a great man. He's a great man. Demolition Man, underrated movie. Uh, what's your number two then? Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, my, number, my number two is Remember the Titans. Never seen it. Could care less. Okay. I mean, it's anything I say you're not going to care about, but I can tell you it, it's a great movie. From every side of the realm, from like, from the uh, all the political stuff that was going on back in those days, to the cast, to the action, to the sports, like it's, it's just a great movie, and it has Denzel in it for God's sake. That's all you need to say, honestly. Um, can you do this? Since we talked about the five D's of dodgeball, can you give me the plot of Remember the Titans in five words? Oh man, on the spot too. Let's see. Um. <laughs> All I can think about is saying, uh, you're at like 20 s- words by now, but segregated team wins football championship. Ooh, okay. All right. I'm not going to fact check that in any way and just go on. Um, <laughs> my number Which- two, my number two is Space Jam. 
I mean, it's that's all my honorable mention. I mean, it's a it's an entertaining movie, but for it to be on the list of like the greatest sports movies ever, uh, I mean, it's probably not even on the top one hundred, but it's fine. I believe during this outbreak, the coronavirus outbreak, it's one of the most streamed movies right now. A lot of people are watching Space Jam for some reason. <laughs> Is, who's your favorite NBA player that became a monster? Charles Barkley. <laughs> I always liked Eric Bradley, or whatever his name was. Sean Bradley. <laughs> Sean Bradley, the big, tall, blue one. He, he's, uh, okay, yeah, all right. Uh, what... <laughs> Let me see if I can guess your number one. Sure. Field of Dreams. Close. Same sport, but no, not uh, the not, natural. Not Which one? The natural. Nope. Okay, then that's I, that's all the ones I know. Uh, Major League. <laughs> see, you went troll your first one. Your it's a good sports movie, though, isn't it? Yeah, I. I mean, I think it's one of the best cult movies of our generation in general it's just there's so many one-liners that you remember and charlie sheen and tom berenger and you know it's about a shitty baseball team that's kind of racist even though they don't realize it with chief wahoo it's it's, it's awesome it's just just a great movie my number one is caddyshack i knew it i knew you were gonna say caddyshack it's a great movie i really struggled with putting that at number five however Besides Chevy Chase in that movie, I'm, I, I don't really, like, it's just okay to me. Caddyshack? It's, yeah, it's just okay. You've got to watch it a couple of times. That's one of the few movies that gets better every single time that you watch it. You notice more and more stuff. To be honest, I'm not even sure I would say Caddyshack is better than Tin Cup. You're an idiot. That's a ridiculous <laughs> statement. Kevin Costner is an amazing actor. Don't you talk shit. Kevin Costner's not that great. He hasn't made a good movie in a long time. Last thing he made was like Waterworld. That's <laughs> yeah, it. That's like 91 for fuck's sake. Yeah, that's the last movie I think I've ever seen. Actually, Mr. Brooks was pretty good. But other than that, <laughs> what's, in your, what's in your honorable mention? Let's see. I have a few. Uh, the Natural, Raging Bull, Million Dollar Baby, uh, League of Their Own, Any Given Sunday. Never seen that one. Uh, League of Their Own and then Rollerball. <laughs> yeah, man, the one with James Caan from the seventies. Wow! Not only Not, did you say Rollerball, but then you backed it up like I already should have known. <laughs> and then I have a uh, basketball. For some reason, South Park and those guys who create—that's one of those things that, like, it's too funny. I can't watch it. <laughs> I don't. I. I, I'm sure someone can tell us what the premise of how it all started was. I don't know how they went from South Park to making a movie like that. Like I don't, I don't understand it. But maybe they're huge sports fans. I don't know. I've also written a Broadway play. Did you know that? Uh yes. Okay, what's it called then? Oh man, the Mormon something. The Mormon. That was pretty good. The Book of Mormon. Book uh, of Mormon. Yes. My honorable mention would be probably, I guess, Raging Bull. I can put that on there. I would put the documentary Beyond the Mat on there. That uh, that's a famous wrestling movie. I I, I don't wow well, you you just shot. I don't even know what to say. You should just keep talking because I'm in awe right now of your knowledge. Yeah, Beyond the Mats. That's I I thought that was pretty good. 
Um, what else did I have? I thought I had it, and then you started talking, and I lost it. Have you ever seen Million Dollar Baby? Yeah, pass on that. <laughs> I thought it was quite good, actually, but... Yeah, dude, I don't like tragedies. I like funny movies. Real life is scary enough. <laughs> well, when you're five foot four, I, I understand why. Shout out to USA Life Insurance. Thanks, Claire. Five, eight, and three quarters. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Kingpin. The bowling movie. <laughs> that's, that's actually, I, I should have included that. I completely forgot about that. That's a good one, man. That's... <laughs> Bill Murray's hair in that movie is fantastic. You can make an argument Bill Lebowski, the Big Lebowski is a bowling movie. You could throw that in there as well. Oh, oh, here. You might open your mouth too much there. I, I don't know, man. That's, I don't know if that's a sports movie. Yeah. All right. God damn it, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie, you're out of your element. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. That's all I got. That's it.